For those of y'all who are just joining us, um, my name is Sarita Demania, and I am a co-founder of the Dallas CX Leadership Group. And I am joined here today by Elisa, Elisa Kaplan-Miller. Hi, Elisa. Hey, Sarita. Um, while our attendees are rolling in, I'll just start with some introductions here. I know you guys are excited to learn about how to build UX leadership skills throughout your career. And I can't wait to dive into Elisa's stories about that. So to begin with, um, I'll just share who Dallas UX Leadership Group is. Some of you are familiar, some of you have heard from word of mouth or maybe saw a post on LinkedIn or meetup groups. Um, we're a community of practice and we're looking to grow leaders in the UX space so that we can elevate our practices as a group. And um, really we're focused in Dallas, Fort Worth, but with the pandemic, we have started to increase our reach across the US and all around the world. Um, and I know we're also joined by a few in Philippines tonight. So um, really excited about that. Um, the founder is actually Kathy Dang, who is a design thinking coach in American Airlines. And we have Gavin Fung, who's also a co-founder with me, um, who does Saber UX research. Oh, sorry. And um, I work at Saber as well as a lead um, designer. So if you're wanting to get in touch with us about speaking opportunities or event sponsorship or even event requests that you're interested in, given this topic and space that we're now trying to focus on, um, please feel free to reach out to us. Um, you're able to reach out to us over this uh, email address. And I just want to give a special thanks to Real Estate IQ. Um, they're helping us bring this webinar series live. This is our second event and um, we're really excited that, to be joined by all of you. And Real Estate IQ is actually helping bring investors over 45,000 motivated seller leads every month. And it's really about helping investors make deal finding possible from their homes. Um, so do check them out and we'll have their contact information at the end. So today going through a couple of introductions, namely introducing Elisa and her background, and we'll be diving in and I'm going to let her speak. Um, she has incredible stories to share. Um, I don't even have to prompt her. So I'm really excited. And then we're also going to do a Q&A at the end because we want to hear from you. We actually heard a couple of questions um, before the event. We got them emailed, which thank you guys so much for doing that. It's going to really help us um, be able to get your ideas and thoughts and questions in here in conversation with Elisa. So if you're new to Zoom, just kind of lay off the land. We have a feature at the bottom that's a raise your hand. Really that's if you have an interest in um, jumping in and asking a question, please feel free to. We have a host of um, other panelists that are also helping me manage this conversation. So they'll be letting me know if there's anything that needs to be um, talked about. And you can use the chat group to share your questions, your comments, and we'll be also sharing some of the best practices and tips that you'll hear from Elisa today. And um, here's how to get in touch. But without further ado, I'm going to jump into speaking with Elisa. Um, so let me introduce you to Elisa. Elisa is a, has a multidisciplinary background in information architecture, knowledge management, user experience research and operations. She's been a design thinking coach and she's worked in a variety of industries and all at the intersection of helping make the user and customer experience better. She's currently teaching um, as a faculty at the SMU Continuing and Professional Education Certificate Program called CAPE, fun name. And uh, she's specializing in the UX Design Certification Program. And um, she's also driving organizational change and is a consultant of user experience at Enterprise UX. Um, so without further ado, um, 
I want to jump in with conversation with Elisa. Good to see you. Um, you know, we're going to be talking about um, why it's important to develop ownership of your leadership skills. And Elisa, you and I go way back. We're working at a banking company almost now eight years ago. Is that right? Hard to believe, but yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, eight years ago. Um, and you know, ever since I've met you, you've taken your career in a very unique way, in a unique journey and in different roles, companies, and blending them along the way, um, you're really seeking out those impactful opportunities. So, you know, can you, looking back at your 20 year career, what are some things that you did to build leadership skills along the way? We'd love to hear from you about that. One, I think has to do with um, listening and being observant to the surroundings uh, where you were. When I was at Faro Systems, for example, um, we kept hearing, now this is, understand, this is in like 2006, uh, we kept hearing that we were going to move into agile development. And none of us knew what agile development was at that point. Um, but we kept hearing, oh yeah, we're going to be moving to agile and there's all this stuff. And people kept saying, well, when are we going to get training? Nobody knew. I mean, we just kept, you know how the rumor mill is. And uh, it just sort of snowballed from there. And I was put on a small project. Um, the key word here being small, there were like 10 of us on the project. So we all looked at each other and said, hey, maybe we should try this Agile thing. We had very little guidance, very little um, help. We, we didn't really know what the heck we were doing. But we thought that it sounded like it would be really applicable to the project that we were working on. So we got together, um, the business analyst, the um, development lead, the project manager, because at that point it was way before POs and PMs and all that stuff. And we just decided we were going to try to do this. And we met in the cafeteria every morning for 15 minutes for our stand-ups. Wow. <laughs> um, but the coolest thing about it, um, that I loved about it was that we worked in a kind of a cool cadence um, and we were able to actually test the stuff that we were building pretty much as we were building it. So we had a very small audience that we were working with um, of folks in a hospital and we were building this tool for them. And the business analyst would go to Florida and sit down with these folks. She already had a relationship with them. Uh, I would call in and we would walk them through some of the prototypes and things. And we got feedback like every couple of weeks. So we were able to move that right into the design and updating the design as we, as we were building. So it was a really exciting time to be trying this because mm -hmm. it was long before these big hairy projects and, and that sort of thing. It was, um, it was cool. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, you know, I'd be really interested to hear and for you to share with everybody here what it looked like for you to take risk and experiment on the projects that you were working on there. Um, I had a lot of support from my manager. I said, okay. oh, by the way, <laughs> we want to try doing this as an agile project. Mm -hmm. And he's like, well, I keep hearing about it, too. I, you know, just keep me posted. Let me know if you have run into any problems. And he was extremely supportive. Uh, our product project manager was really, um, really focused on moving roadblocks for us, which okay. was incredibly amazing. Um, 
one of the things we ran into was that we really needed a couple more developers. So he mm-hmm. went behind the scenes and he got us a couple more developers who were actually able to start building this thing. Yeah. But, the, but I think one of the main things was that we had a lot of great cooperation from our potential users. And to me, that was one of the most incredible pieces of, of everything. Um, we were able to sort of do an outline of what it was going to look like, what this whole uh, bed board thing was going to look like. Mm-hmm. And then we talked to the users and said, which of these areas would make most sense to build out first? What are the most important things? We got great feedback. That's what we did first. Um, yeah. And it was really cool because it was, a, it was really a dialogue and we were building with users. And in 2006, that was still pretty unheard of. Yeah, that is quite early. Wow, now that you say 2006, like it's pretty <laughs> boggling to my mind. <laughs> it, it, it was, it was. You know, when I think about other groups at, at Perot trying to do Agile, and then they'd come visit us and they'd come sit in our stand-ups, which, as I said, were barely 15 minutes in the cafeteria. Um, and they didn't even roll out Agile completely for another year and a half um, mm. with training for all the teams and so forth. So. Um, we just decided we were going to try it and see what happened. So it was both a little bit of a risk. Um, yep. But I think even more, I like to think of it as an experiment um, in trying to improve the efficiencies of the way that we work together. Uh, and, it, yeah. and it worked great. Um, that and the fact that, that our project manager was just wonderful at yeah. making sure that any dependencies we had were taken care of so that we didn't have to deal with them. It sounds like you were building relationships across different departments. Um, were you at any point needing to also develop those leaderships, um, those, those relationships with senior leaders across the company? What was that like? Um, early age of concept? A little bit. Um, not as much at Perot as, as when I was at CA, but certainly uh, started building those relationships, got to know people in the, on the development teams and some of the uh, the business analysis area, the business program was, was really big at Perot. So mm-hmm. getting to know a lot of the business analysts, some of whom had been on products with the companies that we, that were our client companies, um, we built that relationship with them. So getting to know some of them, um, it was a, a real hybrid of people from over here and people from over there and, and just kind of getting to know folks depending on, on who the client was. Wow, that's really great. Um, sounds like you had a very dynamic experience there. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And I got to work on projects for several different clients when I was there, mostly all in the healthcare arena. Uh, mm. This one was really fun because I had never really spent a lot of time building out an entire application. So, you know, I had done websites. I'd done some small apps for, for TI. But this to me was a real exciting thing to try, which was actually do all the design for a full-blown application. So that was uh, that was kind of risky, but kind of fun. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I remember when going on to my first large enterprise project and it's definitely a very daunting experience, <laughs> um, but navigating it was fun. But also I think you and I spoke earlier about, you know, taking that emotional courage in and being able to say, yes, um, here's an opportunity. I need to, I can go ask my leadership about solving a need that I see that we could really benefit from and, and then taking that risk and saying, okay, well, 
it's it's one that's managed. It's one that we know what the plays are and moving forward with it. You know, we have a really interesting um, question from someone who had sent it beforehand, uh, before mm-hmm. this event. Um, they ask, how do you balance risk-taking with not rocking the boat when you're starting in your UX career? Well, you know, that's a really good question. And part of it, I have to say, I was a little less risk-averse um, at that point in my career because I'd already had two careers before I got into UX. So I had corporate experience and corporate training and development, academic experience. Um, so I already had built up a little risk courage, if you will, um, just from from working and and being in the workplace. Uh, I found out that a lot of times when I was trying to propose something that was risky, um, a lot of times what I had to do was go talk to individuals by themselves without addressing the entire group before proposing something. And trying to get get them on board before I would actually go to a whole team that was working on something. So I spent a lot of time sort of greasing the wheels, if you will, uh-huh. um, talking to these folks individually and saying, hey, I've got this idea. I'd love to get your feedback on it. Um, tell me what you think. Tell me what you think some of the downsides might be or the risks involved. And so by the time I was ready to actually make a proposal or suggest something, I'd already had a chance to sort of weigh some of the risk involved. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes I have to admit when I was a young whippersnapper um, working in the semiconductor industry, um, there were not a lot of women. Most of the women in the organization were secretaries and and admins. Um, So a lot of times I had to kind of float these ideas because the men didn't think that I should be suggesting these things. So um, a lot of times I didn't even get to take credit for them. Uh, but I knew that I was the one who actually come up, came up with the idea and put forth the mm-hmm. concept for us to work on. So it sounds like talking to people and really being able to assess the risk is very important when starting out in your career and looking at taking new responsibilities that are maybe a little bit outside your zone, new projects that you're maybe completely new to, um, initiatives that that maybe are kind of groundbreaking. Sounds like being talking to people is really the key here. Uh, figuring out who to talk to is sometimes the hardest thing yes. of all. Um, you know, I can tell you some of the things at CA where I would uh, I would put out a, an email to two or three people say, hey, who do you think I ought to talk to about this? And they would give me two or three names, and then I'd go reach out to those people say, hey, I heard you might be able to help me with this. If not, who else can you recommend? And sometimes the email chains would just be pages long. Oh, no. <laughs> of, seriously, of trying to get to the right people. Um, wow but being willing to at least reach out to the people that you knew first and starting with them. Mm -hmm. Um, That could be managers. It could be team leads of other teams. Um, It's, it's all about figuring out who to talk to and then asking your question and then spending a lot of time listening because it's that, that listening is the key to getting to the next space because somebody may say something that grabs your attention and you're like, Oh wow. I hadn't thought about that. Right. That might introduce risk I hadn't thought about. So being open 
being open to listening to what other people have to say, especially those who have more experience. <laughs> Absolutely. I, yep. I completely agree with you. And we all live in, you know, we want to say we're not siloed. We're working in agile environments or environments that are very collaborative, but naturally silos tend to happen because our work responsibilities get really heavy in one area and we're sort of heads down and focused on that. So um, getting a different perspective and being able to really cue into what that is um, sounds like a really great way to create a, a kind of an opportunity for yourself to go in and, and say, I want to build leadership skills there, but let me create a low risk environment. Let me figure out what that low risk environment is. Um, so I love that suggestion. Um, hopefully the audience member that asked that question um, found some, um, some answers in here as well. Um, you know, I, you know, something that comes up and often in our group, because we've got mid to senior level professionals, UX professionals, we've got people who are also um, in the copywriting industry, like pretty wide industry and a pretty wide skill set, excuse me. Um, so something that, um, you know, would love to hear is, do you have a suggestion on how senior UX level um, professional can experiment in developing leadership skills by using what their existing knowledge is? So if they, where are they starting out? How do they go about doing that? And maybe if you've had experience, if you want to share a story with us. Well, a couple of things. First of all, um, I, you know, just over the years, you learn stuff by making mistakes. I'm the first to admit this, and I have made all the classic ones. So let me just go on record as saying <laughs> I have done that, um, which is one of the reasons that uh, I, I've got a pretty good uh amount of experience over the years, but I was also willing to take on different roles. Uh, when I started in, in UX, it wasn't even called UX. Um, I started out as a webmaster in 1995. Oh. So that's, you know, back at the ancient. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and then after I did that for a while and I, I was hired to work on a, on an intranet for a small medical company, but then I got a job with an internet consulting company and I came in as a content strategist. But one of the things that I found was that I really gravitated toward both information architecture and user experience. So what I would, uh, user experience research. So what I would do is when I was on projects, I would sit down and work with the information architects to understand mm -hmm. how they were making the decisions that they were making mm -hmm. and have conversations with them to understand what tools they were using to be able to do their jobs. And then I would do the same with the researchers and say, you know, what is the process that you're using for this research for this project? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it was qualitative, sometimes it was quantitative. Um, but there were all sorts of tools that they were using. And by, by just being willing to tag along and ask questions and try not to be a total pain, um, mm -hmm. I was able to learn more skills as I went through. So I've mm -hmm. done most of the UX positions with the exception of visual designer. You do not want me being your visual designer um, <laughs> because you would get little stick figure drawings for everything because I'm really not an artist. But, you know, over the years, I've been able to do usability testing, ethnographic research, um, heuristic evaluation, just a whole raft of different research mm -hmm. methods. Um, I've been able to build the infrastructure for a site and the architecture. Um, so I've, I've had an opportunity to do a lot of different things. Um, what that allows you to do is uh, figure out where you can try new things. And 
that's kind of what happened to me at CA. I, <laughs> I had come in as a researcher at, at CA when I, when I first started there in, in 2014 and sort of evolved into this sort of hybrid leader role. Um, and it was interesting because about 2016, when we were rebuilding the team, which is a long and sordid story I'm not going to get into, but we were actually rebuilding the team essentially from the ground up. And after about six months, I realized that we had gotten to a point where we had a critical mass of designers and researchers. Mm-hmm. So I went to my manager who was a super guy and I said, look, I'm seeing some things and I think that we might be able to make some changes to make the whole organization work more efficiently, more effectively and more cohesively. Mm-hmm. which eventually would then uh, make the experience for our users better. Uh, we had things like all of these different product teams were building out uh, personas and we had no central place to put those personas. So over this team may have a persona for a developer and an admin and or a, like a tech admin. And over mm-hmm. here, you'd have the same kind of persona. Uh, and the other team had no idea that the other team had actually built a similar persona. So we started putting in tools to make the process easier for all of us to work together better and not continue to duplicate work. Um, it was really interesting because after I had, had started moving in that role for about a year, um, the Rosenfeld Media Organization announced their first design operations conference. Oh, <laughs> and it was funny because I had been doing what we now know as design operations for about a year, but nobody put a label on it. It was just, you know, bring this group of people together and see if we can figure out which research tools we want to standardize on and how we can do this to make it um, better for everyone. Um, that including recruiting tools, because if you've worked with a bunch of researchers and you have a lot of the same people that you're talking to, you don't want to keep calling the same people over and over again. So we built a tracking system, um, which allowed us, you know, using basically a, uh, a contact tracking system or contact management system that we were able to use to put into place a way of tracking all of our research and all of our research contacts across a whole bunch of products. So now it worked out because we were hearing from product owners and product managers who were yelling at us, you guys can't keep calling our, our customers every week. And, you know, so we started to put some of these things in place so that we could make the whole process more efficient and not um, offend our product owners and product managers for the various products. It sounds like there's also a built-in predictability and a trust system, right? Being able to see how the operations are coming together across these different, I mean, you guys were in different regions, right? You guys Oh, we were all over the world. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know that. Okay. I didn't know you guys were all over the world. I thought you guys were in Austin and here and maybe a couple of other yeah, cities. Too. California, New Jersey, uh, West Virginia, uh, India. And that's becoming more and more common. I mean, we're all having to work in environments where, you know, we're we're maybe talking to somebody who's in Krakow, you know, Mm -hmm. and our 
6 a.m. in the morning Central Time <laughs> um, in Texas. And um, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, become really important to start considering how we work together, becoming more predictable, becoming more sort of a um, managed approach. Um, it sounds like you took all your skills of knowing these different practices of UX to empathize with people who are doing it and say, hey, you know, we could be maybe figuring out a way to to work better. <laughs> and, well, you know, I'll give you an ex I'll give you an example because we work we pull together a team of people to help us build out what we wanted to call a tool chain. Because oh, one okay. of the things that we found is that all of the designers had their favorite tools to use, right? So you've got the Adobe Cloud people who are married to Adobe Cloud, and we had our Sketch people and and a few others. And I started saying, you know, now Sketch is not an expensive software package. But when you buy 50 licenses of it, um, you're not getting economies of scale if you buy them together. Yeah. So we brought a team of people together, a couple of managers and some of our leading interaction designers who had a real interest in tools. And we came up with a list of the capabilities that we needed. And then we started evaluating those tools. Um, our senior VP was committed to the concept of letting any designer use whatever tools they wanted. Oh, but, but where we could get economies of scale by purchasing large buckets of them, uh, I found here again, just by asking and asking, I talked to a lady in purchasing. She said, oh, you need to talk to this person who can help you do that. That's her job. So I made these friends, you know, all over the company <laughs> who could help me navigate all these places that I'd never worked with purchasing. Right, um, right. So it, it was a really exciting thing to get to know and work with these people um, on a weekly, monthly basis. Um, and they were wonderful. They were delightful to work with. Mm -hmm. And they were really incredibly helpful. So when we did the same thing for the researchers and we said, okay, we want to pick one tool to do our surveys in and one tool to do this and one tool to do that. We brought the researchers together and say, hey, which of these tools do you prefer? Are there any you want to test before we make a purchase? And we opened it up and let people participate to their ability mm -hmm. because some people were really too busy to be able to uh, contribute to that evaluation process until we got closer to the end. Right. So. I think part of it was involving the actual people who were going to be stuck using this stuff. Mm -hmm. and I think Getting their feedback, right? Yep. <laughs> exactly. The feedback mechanism in there. Exactly. And, and having some fun while we were doing it and bringing people together an excuse for people who wouldn't necessarily normally talk to one another on a weekly basis, bring them together uh, to solve a problem. And, uh, we had not operated that way before. So we were, we were trying stuff out, which is where the whole concept of experimentation came from. Um, yeah. We didn't know what we were doing. It was all new. So we were making it up as we went <laughs> along. But we brought people together who had a vested interest in that process. Yeah. And, uh, That's a really great point, Elisa. You know, I really appreciate you bringing these stories across and and uh, sharing what it means to experiment because we are in a time where things are uncertain, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to be a certain, uncertain for a while. Um, 
And we're going to have to continue to operate in them and find and navigate ways to build relationships, build um, opportunities, you know, um, build, uh, continue to build our skill sets at the same time while having to be remote. I think that's one of the big challenges that people face today is from my conversations with colleagues or people in the industry. And most commonly on LinkedIn, you know, I'll see how do you connect better with people remotely in a virtual world? You know, it, it's like all over. And um, one of the biggest questions of um, senior designers or successful designers here who are looking to go into leadership opportunities is, well, how do I break into the arena? Well, you know, let's forget the virtual. <laughs> let's start with the basic, like if you're in person or even if you're on a call or if you're able to jump in and chat with somebody, um, how do you break into the arena of building relationships with senior leaders that are either within your own group or outside? Do you want to share something on that? Sure. Um, there's a couple things. One is look for problems that they need to have solved. Mm. And there's always all kinds of problems that come up. You know, they're, they're everywhere. Um, and the first thing you want to do is reach out and say, hey, I'm seeing X, whatever it is, um, and I'd like to understand this issue better. Uh, can you tell me a little bit more about what it is that you're facing or what you're trying to, to solve for within this, in this space? And then let, tell me how I can help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and by, by volunteering into working with other people, uh, you start to build those relationships. Um, I had a, an amazing thing happen at CA also that took me in a completely different direction, um, which was our IT department, which was a very traditional IT organization. They told you what software you were gonna use and that's what you were going to use. Um, Most of us absolutely despised our software that we used to submit our expenses. It was horrible. And the only thing worse than that was our purchasing software. So if you needed to buy, (laughs) buy your computer equipment or, whatever it was, these software packages were atrocious. They were terrible. Um, And through a long series of of things that happened, a few of the folks of our IT organization in India heard one of the UX people speaking in India. And she was on our team. And they came back and said, can you help us understand how we can be Um, more responsive to our customers' needs. And for an IT department to say that, you know, we were all falling over, you know, it was just Yeah, and to reach out like that, you know, from not having met you, not having been exposed too much to it. I mean, that's really interesting. I mean, that's kind of interesting right now. We're we're hoping that, you know, and maybe that's somebody calling from Bangalore. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So it it was really interesting because I ended up, spending some time with this group and ended up putting on some workshops with the senior leadership of the IT organization. Now I had only met one or two of these folks. I had not met the full cadre and I was, I flew up to New York and put on these, a couple of workshop, two day workshops for them. Uh, And what I was using was tools of design of uh, service design, because Mm -hmm. I was trying to get them to understand that they were providing a service to all of the employees and they had no idea what that was. It was so new to them, um, even conceptually, that when I asked the first question that we in UX always ask, who is your customer? One of the (laughs) CPs said, 
I had no idea. Oh, wow. And it was all the employees. Oh, (laughs) that's very tough. It it was kind of a risky thing to do, but but it was a a really amazing thing um, to work on with them, to help them understand that they could do a lot better and make the employees' lives a lot better. And it was a, we worked on it for over two years. Oh, um, wow. that project. Yeah, it was pretty cool. That's a very long-term relationship that you built. That's, that's wonderful. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I helped them hire a UX person for their team, and I continued to advise to them uh, as they went through their process. So. Wow. That's incredible. Well, these have been incredible stories. I know we've got so many questions from really engaged uh, attendees from before also, before the event started, we got a list of questions. So I want to make sure we get to them. Um, And Gavin is um, going to be helping us uh, get those questions going. Hey, Gavin. Hey, hey, how's it going? All right. Gavin, and go ahead and hear those questions that we got. And they're good ones too, Elisa. (laughs) Uh Perfect. (laughs) All right. Um, so someone asked, you know, when earlier you mentioned, you know, you tried not to offend your business partner while establishing more efficient ways to work. Um, can you talk to, uh, to us about how much of a fight it was and, you know, how did you achieve alignment and traction and you're sort of navigating through that? I look at all of these things as possible research questions. And so I try not to figure out what the problem is until I really know what the problem is. Because a lot of the times, just figuring out what problem we're trying to solve is the biggest thing that we're trying to do. And you only find that out by talking to people, asking questions, and really listening to what they have to say. Because a lot of times, what they think is the real problem isn't the real problem. Um, You know, you may hear complaints from customers, you may hear this, you may hear that. Yet, if you go and watch people use your software, watch your applicate use their applications, um, you'll start to see where they run into problems, and um, that helps you on that path to figure out what problem you need to solve. So, I think a lot of it comes from just being willing to listen um, and not. One of my favorite things to say is, I try to check my ego at the door. Um, I right. really try not to come a- a- across as a know-it-all, but I let them direct me the way they see the the landscape, and then I move from there. Okay, yeah. I mean, that really sounds like what I do in usability tests, right? Like you think you know what the issue is, but you got to dig a little deeper, read between the lines a little bit to really understand and get to the root of it. Um, it seems like it applies the same thing to really, you know, understanding the problem space and, you know, just making sure that you're using research as a way to empathize. Absolutely. Perfect. Awesome. Um, you know, I've a couple of questions here. You know, I was just kind of wondering um, how do you, so let's say that, you know, you do make a mistake, you know, you kind of like, okay, well, this didn't work out very well and things like that. Like, how do you sort of recover from that in a way that is productive so that you still, in a way, you know, still keep the trust and relationship that you established? The first thing I try to do is do a debrief. Let's bring everybody together that was a part of this and say, okay, we did not get the results that we were expecting. Why not? What mm, did okay. we do? What was our process? What didn't work? Were we not able to talk to the people we needed to talk to? Did we not have the prototypes ready to go? 
Was there some kind of scheduling? <laughs> Did COVID-19 get in the way? You know, but, but being willing to say I made a mistake and or we made a mistake. And I, and I think part of that uh, goes to the trust of working with a team where the team succeeds and fails together. And if everybody's willing to own that mistake and learn from it, then that sets you on the path for progress. Mm. Perfect. Yeah. You know, it's almost like troubleshooting coming together. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. All right. Um, so I'll go ahead and do a one or two more. Uh, Melissa from the chat asks, um, you know, once you discovered a problem, um, how do you articulate an approach uh, on how to really resolve it with the larger team? Oh, man. Um, I involve them in the problem definition space first and foremost. So, you know, I, I, I do not have all the answers. Our team is much better at having the answers than just any one of us. And, you know, for example, when I was at CA, a lot of times the largest customers would call in and complain about something. Um, and we would go, and I say we would have developers, whoever, go and actually try to observe people and see how they had the problem uh, to figure out if that really was the problem. Um, and then make sure that we understood what that problem was like before we even got anywhere near talking about solutions. So solution mm. comes much, much later. You've got to really understand that problem uh, before you can get anywhere to ask, how might we solve this? And that's where some of your innovation comes in because you can say, okay, we've defined this problem. We understand that it is a problem. How might we go about solving it? Uh, but you don't get to that until you know what it is you're dealing with. All right. Yeah. Sounds uh, sounds good. And I hope uh, you know you um, from the chat. Uh, you know, got a good answer from that. Let's do. Go ahead and do one more. Um, how important do you think leveraging the best practices, no method, no practices, no methodologies like agile design thinking or design system is when it comes to solving problems? You know, like it's almost like the academia side of things. Like, how important is it to really you know articulate and leverage those? Wow, that's a big question. So I look at it as sort of the Mary Poppins syndrome. I have a big bag of tricks. You know, some days I can pull out a hat stand and another day I can pull out an umbrella. Um, and I think understanding who it is you're trying to please, what kind of problem you're trying to solve, uh, what kind of pressures you're getting from stakeholders. I mean, there are a lot of different folks who have a vested interest in what you do. And so once you, you have that ecosystem defined, what's the, the problem that we've agreed upon? Uh, who are the people that are impacted? Um, how do the stakeholders look at it from, are they going to fund it? You know, that kind of thing. Uh, then you can say, okay, I think we need to do a design thinking workshop for two days where we take a deep dive into this to help us understand that. Now, sometimes you don't have much time and you've got to figure out something very quickly to evaluate what it is you're working with. And sometimes you bring together two or three researchers and say, hey, look, we need to turn this around pretty quickly. Mm. I have you for two days and let's knock out a whole bunch of heuristic evaluations on this site. Each one of you will do the same site 
and then we'll come back together in two days and take a look at what we've we identified. And that may be a quick and dirty way of figuring something out. So a lot of it is you've got all these methods available to you and all of these tools available to you. And the whole thing is to come up with an, a, a judicious way of using those tools to help work through whatever it is you're trying to solve. Perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, as at least as a researcher myself, there's a lot of things that I can do, like user interview, usability testing. Like you mentioned, a toolbox to really dig into um, and really using the one that is going to solve the problem um, with good practices. You know, um, of course, just like tweaking here and there, but you know, also getting your fellow researcher involved to help you out. I love it. All right, um, we're going to go ahead and take it back, give it back to Sarita um, for to continue on your conversation with her. Thanks, Gavin. Thank you, Gavin. Um, Lisa, I just really want to thank you for spending the time with us this evening. Um, I know that uh, you've been really passionate about the UX industry and helping mentor others and as well as grow the leadership skills of the community and particularly me. I'm really appreciative of you spending all that time with me. So um, those in the audience, if you're really interested, I mean, really get in touch with Elisa and I'm going to actually share my screen to, to share her contact information. If you're looking to work with her, if you're looking to, um, you know, in any capacity, I mean, it's been an amazing experience working with her, being a friend and being somebody I bounce ideas off of. So um, I really, you know, would encourage you guys to get in touch with her and we've also posted it in the chat. Um, Elisa, um, again, thank you for your time. I'm gonna hand it over to now um, the Real Estate IQ, um, Kyle, I think from Real Estate IQ, who's gonna be closing up up here and- um, Yep. Hey, Kyle. Hi, Sarita. By the way, hi everybody. I'm Kyle from Real Estate IQ. Before I continue with the slides, I'd like to thank uh, Sarita, Gavin, and Elisa for being here and sharing your knowledge. I'm pretty sure the attendees got a lot of um, lessons learned from the things that you that you shared. And again, in the screen, we got the contact details of Elisa if you want to contact her. So you can copy that one. It's also there in the chat box. So by the way, this event is uh, sponsored by or brought to you by Real Estate IQ, number one in deal finding. And we bring you 45,000 leads every month. And uh, we'd like to hear from one of our clients, one of the testimonials. Here's a video, check this out. Hey guys, we're here at the Quest Trillion Dollar Mixer right here. And I'm talking to Omero Corona. He's just made more than $100,000 with Real Estate IQ. Could you tell us about your story? Yeah, how's everybody doing? Omero Corona here at the uh, Quest Trust uh, Trillion Dollar Mixer. Really excited to share uh, my testimony and my story with uh, Real Estate IQ. So over the last, uh, you know, about six, seven months, I've been using uh, their platform and getting some of their uh, I was able to uh, finish my first flip recently where I was able to net about 85000 And in total, I think I've uh, been able to make about $100,000 with Real Estate IQ and their tools. So really excited to share this uh, great um, you know, company with you guys and definitely uh, give it a shot. I think you guys uh, will take advantage of all the tools and uh, it'll be profitable for you and your company. Thank you, guys. Thank High potential you. deal. Kyle, I think you're on mute. Sorry. <laughs> 
So that was a testimonial from our client. And if you want to get a free 45-minute one-on-one deal, uh, one, one deal finding training, uh, you can click the yes on that number two question. Would you like to have a live demo of our services on the poll that's on your screen right now? So you can just click the, the yes option on that poll. So um, you can also take advantage of our uh, free educational webinar at realestateiq.co slash events. And we'd also like to invite you on our upcoming events. The first one we got um, real estate investing hot trends wherein we talk about the latest trends in real estate together with our CEO, Steve, and with some other speakers that we have. This happens every week at Thursdays, 5 p.m. And we also got the book club. So if you are a bookworm and if you love books, you can join this one. Uh, it happens every Wednesdays at 5 p.m. They discuss a particular book and give their insights about that book. So you can join that. Again, it's 5 p.m. on Wednesdays. And lastly, it's uh, the Geeks and Nerds together with Joseph. Um, so this happens every Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. No, it's uh, fourth Wednesdays of the month. It's uh, fourth Wednesdays of the month at 6.30 p.m. So those are the events that we have, the new events that we have, the three new events. So Sarita, do you have anything more to add before we end this event? Um, just wanted to let you guys know we are, um, you know, we're looking forward to hearing your feedback from Dallas CX leadership for Dallas CX leadership. Um, we do have a survey. Um, we'll copy paste it into the chat as well. So you guys can click on it directly. We look forward to hearing from you. And again, we will our community or practice and we really like hearing from our community and we're excited to be able to share stories of people who have, um, you know, grown into leadership skills and who are in the process of it and want to um, share those best practices out. So um, feel free to contact us and uh, you'll also find our contact information at the end of the survey. Uh, just want to thank you guys, everyone, for joining. Elisa, again, thank you for spending the time with us. Um, it's been wonderful to see you again. <laughs> have a good night, everyone, a good day, and uh, keep well and keep safe. Thank you. Thank you for attending. Really appreciate it. Have a good night. For webinar schedules, follow us at our official social media accounts or visit us at www.realestateiq.co.